All right. Well, briefly, um, we are on part 10 of the Love and Hate series. I think we're going to end up with about 13 of them all together. There's about two or three left, two or three left that we'll go through in August, um, but we're in part 10. I'm not going to recap all 10 of those. I will just tell you um, that the primary heartbeat of this series is instead of trusting in our own wisdom or our own culture that we are in, trusting instead to learn from God how we can love people well and to learn what we hate and why we hate it. And that might sound really strange to you, but I'd encourage you maybe go back and, and listen. Um, but just know this, the things that God hates, it's, it's through the lens of loving us so well. God hates things that hurt his kids. He doesn't hate people. He hates the things that harm people. And so we let him teach us what to love, what to hate. And then we talked about things like allowing God to, to correct us and teach us and guide us in how we do this. And then we spent a lot of time talking about how we walk in unity with one another. And so we talked about um, how, to, how to maintain unity when things are good. We talked about how to address relational problems when we have falling outs with each other and we hurt each other. How do we repair those things? How do we see God work miracles in our relationship to heal breakdowns? And then last week we talked about um, what do we do when we disagree with each other? When within the body of Christ, we have disagreements about who God is, about what the scripture teaches. How do we walk out those issues of disagreement? And now this morning, um, we're going to talk very specifically about false teachers. And so I, I would encourage you, if you're here just for this morning, we talked last week about the difference between people, individual people in relationship that are wrestling through things. We don't all have it all figured out all the time. And so we need some grace. We need to have a teachable mindset. We need to look to God's word to give us direction in, in what we believe and why we believe it. And so relationally with one another, we need to learn how to walk out in grace. We need to have a safe place where people can wrestle with doubts. There's a difference between someone taking a hard, clear stand on an issue that, that scripture clearly speaks against and somebody who's wrestling through where they at, what do they believe. And we need to be able to talk about those things together. Does that make sense? So you'll, you'll kind of have to go back and listen to the whole message for that to really be fully clear to you. Um, but this morning is about people who are in position of leadership. This could be someone who pastors a church, but it could just even be a leader within a church body that, that does some teaching, does some leading. It could be public, public figures, public figures in the faith that are maybe well-known. The scripture holds people who teach to a higher standard. And so we're going to talk this morning about false teachers. Um, I'm sure you're all really thrilled right now about this encouraging, uplifting message. Um, but, but I would encourage you, even when we're talking about something tough like this, it's for our benefit. It's for our good. It's so, it's so we can have a solid, firm foundation to live the healthy life Jesus has called us to and to share that good life with other people. The purpose is not to rigidly be right. If that's the purpose, we're already missing the boat. The purpose is to know the real Jesus and to be able to share that Jesus with people in need. That's the purpose in having sound doctrine. So here we go. We're going to do this in a couple of parts. We're first going to look at a series of, of parables that Jesus taught. Um, we did that last week as well. I think it's important to understand. Um, often we separate some of the New Testament letters that were written by people like Paul and Peter and some of the other 
folks who follow Jesus, we separate them from Jesus' teachings at times, and we shouldn't do that. They're intertwined. Jesus talked about all kinds of things that pertain to his kingdom and his church, and then his disciples came along and began to correct things that they were seeing were problems shortly after Jesus ascended to the Father. So they worked together. And so we're going to look at a couple of stories Jesus told, and then we're going to unpack some of the letters written to the churches to warn them against false teachers. So here we go. Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to start. We're going to look at a series of parables beginning in verse 1. So here we go. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. This is Jesus talking. This is the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Verse six, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So Jesus is talking about judging and he's talking about being able to see things clearly. And I think it's important to note in this passage and in others, um, we, we like to take little sound bites, little nuggets out of scripture, and then we make them something foundational and core. Um, did Jesus say, judge not that you not be judged? We just read it, right? Verse one, yes, he did. But if we read the entire context of what he's talking about here, he's warning us, he's not saying don't judge. He's warning us about how to do it properly. He's telling us how to judge. So first of all, he lets us know when you're judging, you better just know the way you judge others, that same measure is coming back on you. So consider how you approach it. Um, one of the biggest things I would encourage you to learn the difference between is condemnation or condemning someone versus judging or discernment of understanding. When we, when we hear the word judgment, I don't know about you, I immediately picture a judge in a robe with a gavel. I mean, my, my brain goes there. Anybody else picture that? And a part of judging, I immediately think of the sentencing. The sentencing where punishment is given. But there are actually different moments in a trial. There's the moment where everything is sort of being laid out. The facts are shared. Both sides are weighed. And then a judge or a jury or a combination of the two consider all of those facts and make a judgment, right or wrong. Here's where this person stands. Then, after that, then there's the sentencing. What's the punishment going to be? We do not condemn people. We have a great judge. Jesus is the judge. Jesus will decide at the end of all things who is covered and under his blood, who's forgiven and who will receive mercy and, and who will be judged. He decides that. We do not condemn people. But we are called over and over again in scripture to have clear-headedness. We're called to be able to see and recognize where people are and so Jesus is telling us here, understand, if you walk in condemnation of others, you will probably find yourself experiencing the same thing. Think about how you measure out your judgment. 
He then tells us, secondly, remove your log first. I think it's interesting that he calls it a log that's in our eye and a speck in somebody else's. Remove your log first. Before I can even hope to to accurately judge someone else's condition or where they are, I've got to deal, I've got to look in the mirror. I've got to deal with myself. God, is there something that's clouding my vision? Do I think I'm seeing something in their eye and really I'm looking through the log in mine and I'm just seeing my own junk? It's not even them, it's me. It clouds our vision. And so we need to use, we need to think about how we judge and then we need to look at ourselves in the mirror first. God, help me to see clearly what's going on in me. But notice he does tell us eventually to address the speck in the other person's eye. Does he say ignore it? Don't take my word for this. Does he say ignore it? No. Does he say don't worry about it? They'll be okay? No. Has anybody ever had something in their eye before? Um, I worked at a steel plant for about six years. Um, What feels like ages ago now, but in the early 2000s, I was working at a steel plant. And um, I I was trying to remember what the event was, but I, I had my eye was bothering me all day after work one day. And I just, I felt like something was in there. And we went to an event with some friends and my buddy Wes was there and I was telling him what was going on with my eye and he looked at it and he's like, dude, you need to see a doctor. Like, let me call a buddy of mine. And he got me in like that evening with an eye doctor and they looked at mine and they said, you have a small metal shard on your eye and there's already a rust ring starting to form around it. We have to take that out and grind down the rust. This is like really disgusting, isn't it? I'm like second guessing the story now that I'm telling it. <laughs> they had to grind, like, so I'm sitting there and there's a machine holding my eyeball open and it's coming at me. I mean, it was like terrifying. But listen, it had to be done. If they didn't remove that piece of metal and they didn't deal with that, my, my eyesight, I would have lost my eyesight. It would have caused severe long-term damage. It had to be taken out. Now I can tell you right now, I didn't want a doctor, an eye doctor with an eye patch dealing with that. I wanted a professional. I wanted someone who could see clearly, had the right equipment, who knew what he was doing. That's what Jesus is talking about. So many of us are walking around half blind and we see everybody else's specs and we want to call out the speck in their eye. And first ours needs to be dealt with. But then guess what? There are people that that have an issue that's harming them and they need to be helped. And Jesus, Jesus says, listen, once you have taken the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Notice the relational component there. This is somebody you care about and that you love and you're trying to help. That's how we approach using good judgment. Now, the story doesn't actually stop there though. Like Jesus could just stop right there. Okay, there's there's instances where something's going on in your life. You need to deal with it. There's moments where there's a little speck in your brother's eye. You need to help him out. And then he throws in this last little verse, verse six. He goes, but now dogs, don't give dogs what is holy and don't cast your pearls before pigs or swine. Jesus says there's actually people that the thing that you're offering them, the helpful thing that you're offering them, the pearl that you long to give them, they want nothing to do with it. And not only will they not receive it or treasure it, they will actually turn around 
in the midst of you trying to help them and they will attack you. They will turn on you. It requires clear-sightedness and judgment to be able to tell the difference. We're called to discern this. He's saying, hey, know the difference between a dog and a pig and a brother. Recognize the difference. Well, how do we see that difference? Skipping down a few verses to verse 15, Jesus kind of continues on this same trend and he says in verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Now, we've covered this in the past if you've hung out with me. I, I, am, I do not have a green thumb. I have a black thumb. I kill things that are supposed to grow in the ground. I'm not good at that stuff. But I, I do know enough to know thorn bushes are not, or thistles are not what produce figs and grapes. I can get Jesus' analogy here. Can y'all track with this analogy? Grapes do not come from thorn bushes. Figs do not come from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So he says, pay attention to fruit and you will recognize who you're around. So he says, number one, there's different types of trees and different types of fruit. So this, it's impossible for this kind of a tree, it's impossible for an apple tree to produce oranges. It's not going to happen. It also would be really comical if I went around with some duct tape trying to tape oranges into an apple tree and fool people into thinking it's an apple tree. You hang around that long enough and it's going to be exposed for what it really is. But he also said there's also trees that maybe they would produce a healthy fruit, but, but they're damaged. They're harmed. They're wounded. They're sick. And so what they produce is kind of a gross version of that fruit. This, this requires wisdom. This requires discernment. I hope when you hear all this, what you're realizing is this requires Jesus' help. If I'm thinking on my own that I'm smart enough to figure this out and clearly identify people, I'm in trouble. Apart from him, I can do nothing. But with his help, I can begin to learn and see things the way that he does. Jesus, help me, help me recognize and see the fruit in people's life. Is this somebody who's a little unhealthy that just, man, they need to be built back up. They need some... They need some fresh soil around them. They need to be watered and maybe that fruit can get healthier. Or God, is this somebody who, they don't even belong in the family. They're, they're from a whole other batch somewhere. We need to address that differently. And pay attention to how he started this. He said, the false prophets will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. What does a wolf want to do with sheep? Say it louder. Eat them. What does a wolf dressed like a sheep want to do? Make them feel really comfortable. Make them feel like it's safe and I belong and you're okay. Because now I can stick around and feed for a while. If you don't recognize who I really am, if you don't see what I'm really up to as a wolf, I don't have to just, I don't just get to eat for today. I can eat for a while. This is reality. Jesus is warning us, beware. There are people like this with ulterior motives who will present themselves one way and in reality, there's something else. And they're there to eat you. Now in Matthew's gospel, just a couple verses over, as Jesus was getting ready to send his disciples out in pairs to do some ministry, 
he uses this same terminology again and he gives them some direction. And I want to encourage you, receive, receive this direction, instruction yourself so we're prepared for the folks we're going to encounter along the way. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he said, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent or harmless as doves. So he doesn't say remove yourself from the wolves. He doesn't say run and hide, play it safe. He said, I'm actually sending you out where they're going to be. There are going to be wolves around, but I'm calling you to something. I'm calling you not to be dangerous. Notice that he didn't say fly away like a dove or attack them like a snake. He said, be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Learn how to, to spot and see and recognize what's happening and be able to move right through it. Be able to slip right through it. All right, I can avoid that. I can avoid that. I'm not out attacking. I'm not destroying. I can, I can remain harmless and innocent, but I can recognize what's happening and be careful, be cautious. So those are some directions that Jesus gives us. We have to have our eyes open. We need to be willing to deal with things maybe we aren't seeing clearly so that we're healthy and then so we can help our brothers and our sisters remain healthy. And when there's wolves in the batch, when there's pigs in the pen, we need to be able to recognize them for what they are and be careful. Got it? Are we tracking with the visuals Jesus has given us? Okay, now we're going to get into some specifics here. We're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to hear from James. We're going to hear from Jude. We're going to hear from Jesus. We're going to hear from Paul. We're going to hear from Peter. Some of these I'm going to go through quickly for time's sake, but I want you to see that this is Jake up here giving you my opinion. We've got to be rooted in God's word and hear what he has to say. And I would encourage you, um, I encourage people every week, dig in on your own, but I would encourage you, this might be a message where you go onto our website and grab the notes and do some digging on your own. I've even picked like two and three verses where there's like a whole chapter covering the issue and there's more there to dig on. So I would encourage you to do that. Um, don't just trust me on this. Okay, so beware of false teachers. I wanna give you three things we do to beware of false teachers. Number one, we watch out. Number two, we call it out. And number three, we keep them out. Watch out, call out, keep out. Got it? Okay, here we go. So watch out. First of all, teachers are warned. Teachers are told, be careful being a teacher. Be careful before you raise your hand and say, I'll teach. James chapter three, verse one. James writes and he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Teachers are actually warned, maybe don't be a teacher. Maybe don't be so quick to rush into that. Maybe pause and consider, do I really want to step into this? Because there is a greater standard that we are held to. There's a stricter judgment because you're influencing other people. You're not, you're not just governing your own life anymore and your own, your own relationship with Jesus. You're beginning to have influence on other people. And so we need to be really careful before we step into that. This is the kind of thing that like freaks me out. Like when I, when I get concerned or worried, it's this. When I'm having a bad day in ministry, I don't think about going somewhere else to do ministry. I just think, man, it'd be easier not to do it at all. It's, it can be hard. There's, there's a high standard that we're held to. 
And, and even unintentionally, and we're going to see this, even unintentionally, we can, we can communicate things that aren't right or aren't accurate. Or we communicate them in an unclear way. And it causes harm. And so teachers need to be careful. So there's a warning for teachers. So first of all, teachers, if there are any in the room, if you're in a place where you teach, you influence people, watch out. Be careful. Check that log in your own eye. Watch out. Okay, then the scripture warns, um, we're going to look at three different types of teachings to be careful of. Three different types of teachings to walk out, watch out for. First of all, incomplete truth or a variation of truth. In the book of Acts, Paul's actually talking to um, a group of Ephesian leaders. And I don't know if Paul fully knew where he was heading at the time, but he was, he was getting ready to go to Rome and he was about to be in prison for the rest of his life. And so one of, the, one of the last things he's saying in person to these Ephesian church leaders is found in Acts chapter 20, verse 26. He says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Why can he say that? For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Can you all do the cheesy pastor thing with me and say the whole counsel of God? The whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Notice, notice how we're a treasure. Jesus' people are a treasure to him. We were bought with a great price. And so people that are overseeing, are teaching, are in charge, man, they have been given a, a precious gift to be careful with. And so Paul says, be careful. And he says, I know that after my departure, Fierce wolves will come in among you. He's using the same exact terminology Jesus did. Not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. Not just new things, not just different things, twisted, a variation, a bent on what you've been taught. To draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert Remembering that for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. Really simply, Paul says, I taught you the whole counsel. False teachers will come in and teach you a twisted counsel. This means that, that they may change or tweak something in the gospel. It also means by not preaching a whole gospel, they give you an incomplete picture. We emphasize these two or three things that I want to emphasize and miss the whole boat. You just get a little, little piece of it, a little sliver of it. Part of the truth is still wrong. Only a portion of the truth is wrong. If I preach God's judgment and there's no mercy and there's no grace and there's no life in Jesus, there's no salvation by grace through faith, and I got a bunch of fearful people terrified all the time trying to measure up to something they could never do. And I've given them a false picture of God. But if I'm emphasizing God's mercy and his grace, and I don't tell people, listen, there is a day where you have to make a decision. There is a moment in your life where you choose, I'm forsaking sin and turning to Jesus. And I ignore the fact that God will judge and I water down the gospel. I'm doing people a disservice. We're doing great harm. And now I'm just giving you two examples. But when we overemphasize something or we leave something out we don't want to talk about, or we twist it to, to fit our narrative instead of letting God tell his story about who he is and about his gospel, we're, we're on dangerous ground. And so we need the whole counsel, the full picture. 
Okay, number two. We don't need to just watch out for incomplete truth. We need to watch out for what I'm going to call convenient truth. Or we could say compromising truth. In Jude's letter, he writes, beginning in verse 3, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, in other words, I wanted to write to you encouraging awesome things. I was looking forward to that. But I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were destined for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into what? Sensuality. And deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. This is a place where I said there's a whole chapter on it, but we're going to skip down to verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following whose passions? Their own own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. We need to watch out for a convenient gospel that promotes or encourages my own thoughts and and, and feelings instead of God's. It's tempting. It's tempting. I, it's tempting to just find the gospel that I agree with all the time and go, that's the one I want to be a part of. I love the gospel till it contradicts something in me and then it offends me, then it hurts me, then it makes me frustrated. And so it's great if somebody else will appease me and tell me, no, 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 that's okay. It's all good. You can come over here. This is fine. We got to watch out for that. There's something in our nature that, that's drawn to that. And so we need to be careful of gospels that are preached that are convenient or compromising truth. It's truth that sounds really nice, really wonderful, really sweet. And it never disagrees with me and it never contradicts me and it allows me to follow my own passions and my own desires instead of hearing from God on what's right and wrong. And then finally, number three, calling this impersonal truth. Incomplete truth, convenient or compromising truth, impersonal truth. Jesus talked about this one a lot. Here's one example. Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe what they tell you. They're telling you a lot of things that are good, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They will pile on burdens on people. This is, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus, striving like this, working like this, big, huge, just heavy burdens on your shoulder. And meanwhile, you look at their own life, and they won't raise a finger to do the same thing. You can be assured of this. Where there is a teacher that teaches through a place of hypocrisy or a place of legalism, they have an impersonal gospel. Legalism means I don't have to have a relationship with Jesus because I can just follow the rules on my own and I'm okay. God's inviting us into a relationship and that relationship will change us and we will find ourselves fulfilling some lawful good things, but I'm not a slave to it. It's happening naturally as a byproduct of being in a healthy relationship with God. But if you have teachers that are heaping heavy burdens and legalistic stuff, or they're hypocrites, they're preaching all kinds of things they're not doing, 
you can be assured that's an impersonal gospel. It's not real and alive in their life. And they're going to pass that on to others. And we have a lot of people trapped in churches today with a very religious, decent-looking lifestyle. And man, they're, they're, they're trapped. They're struggling. And they're missing out on the vibrant relationship with Jesus we were called to have. We were made to have. So we're ripping people off when we misrepresent the gospel. Incomplete truth, convenient truth, and personal truth. Watch out for those. I started by saying teachers are warned, but I just, I can't leave it there. So our last warning is this. Any of us that ever sit underneath someone else's teaching, we've all been warned too. Check this out. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Paul's writing to this young preacher, Timothy, and he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, now he's about to tell him why he just told him to preach the word and hold fast to it and to correct and do all these things. Verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into to myths. So first of all, Paul's warning Timothy and saying, buddy, there's people that are going to long for you to preach certain things, and they're not going to want to hear you preach other things, and that's going to be tempting. You're going to be tempted to start preaching what people want to hear. But there's also a warning to us. This tells us that people are prone to seeking out what they want to hear. In other words, what Paul is saying is, you know, we, we can get angry all day long at false teachers. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced what I have where, you know, you see something in the news and you're like, oh man, that guy, that thing, that person, again, this issue, and just get down and just get frustrated. But what Paul is telling us is that these false teachers exist because we want them. They have an audience because people want to hear what they're saying. So we need to look to ourselves and go, God, am, am I actually looking for a false teacher? Am I looking for certain things that I want to be told and encouraged in over and over again? Or God, do I just want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth from a God who loves me and cares for me enough to speak truth into my life? Am I, am I willing to surround myself with teachers that will tell me the things I should hear and that I need to hear and not just the things I want to hear? We need to watch ourselves. All right, we're going to move into quickly going through some passages that tell us to call out and to keep out false teachers. Um, before we do that, I'm going to read to you the most sobering passage we've read yet this morning. <sighs> Hasn't it been enough already? <laughs> and the reason I'm doing this is we're about to be told that there are times where you call people out and you kick them out. And if I don't understand the level of seriousness, then I won't understand why we do that. And there's always a backlash. When a false teacher gets called out, there's always a backlash against the people doing the calling out. Oh, you're crucifying that guy. You're killing him. That's a brother. Is it a brother? And if it's not, here's why we need to deal with it. Peter talks about this in 2 Peter chapter 2. 
The whole chapter's worth reading. I'm going to go through these quick. I sort of just, I'm not going to teach what each of these things are. My hope is that as I hit some of these, it'll just sort of wash over us and we'll understand the level of seriousness that Peter and others took in calling out false teachers and why they're so dangerous. So let the weight of this sit on you. We don't have to live in fear, but we need to understand it. So let this sit on you for just a minute. Every bit of this is direct from the scripture. Um, I'm just not reading all 22 verses. So these are snippets of it. I'm not trying to hide something. I'm not trying to eliminate something. For time's sake, we're reading snippets. Go read the whole chapter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. Here are some of the things he says are associated with false teachers and why they're dangerous and why there is judgment for them. Verse 1. False teachers will secretly bring in destructive heresies, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. In verse 2, he tells us that many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Verse 3 tells us that in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. I mean, I can already think of instances in each of these. Sensuality, greed. These are the things false teachers teach. Verses 4 through 12 describe the judgment that is coming for these guys. And Peter specifically points to three things. Like when the angels got kicked out of heaven, when Satan and some of the angels were promoting themselves above God and they got kicked out of heaven, there was judgment there, fallen angels. He points to Noah's flood and the judgment that happened through the flood. And he points to Sodom and Gomorrah and the destruction that happened there. He said, that's what the judgment is going to be like on these false teachers. Verse 13, they are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. Verse 14 says that they have eyes full of adultery. They're insatiable for sin. This is one of the worst parts to me. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. They're accursed children. Verse 17, these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. From them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. Verse 18, for speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. And there's people on the verge. Their life hangs in the balance. They want to be rescued from the junk they're facing. And these guys take advantage of them and say, oh, no, that's okay. Stay there. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. They're, they're, they're offering a false freedom that doesn't actually set people free and enslaves them. For what overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Does that sound like the kind of people we should just casually hang around and it's no big deal? I'll listen to that. It's dangerous. It's destroying people's lives. It's ripping people off. It's causing great harm to the person that's teaching this way. It's dangerous. And God says this is a big enough issue. We need to deal with it. So how do we do this? I, I want to walk you through this because sometimes we think somebody's a false teacher and they're just somebody that's a little bit off and needs correction. But if we follow this pattern in Scripture, we can sort out the difference between someone a little bit off and someone that is rigid and set in their ways and is a wolf among sheep and they gotta go. And so here's the pattern. 
In Acts chapter 18, verse 24, there was this guy named Apollos. He's preaching. He's on fire. He loves Jesus. He was preaching an incomplete gospel. He was leaving some things out that he wasn't aware of. And in Acts chapter 18, verse 24, we hear about this guy. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man. He was competent in the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He just had an incomplete gospel. Good intentioned, incomplete gospel. Verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they shouted him down from the stage. They wrote an angry blog about it. They put his name in all the newspapers to let everybody know how he was blowing it. Is that what it says they did? They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. We skip over that. We can't wait to call people out publicly, embarrassingly. But we're actually called to first correct privately. Privately. I give the person an opportunity. Are they open to, to hearing, teaching? Let's talk about it. Where'd you get that from? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? Here's what I see in scripture. If we had more pastors and leaders approaching other pastors and leaders and going, hey, bro, man, I know you. I love you. What's going on here? And we would meet privately. We could, we could help correct and rescue people from something that might just be a mistake. It might just be an error. They might be teaching from a place of some own brokenness in their life. And the conversation will reveal, man, this person just, they need some healing. They need some rest. Maybe they need to pause from teaching for a while. Like, let's come alongside lovingly as a brother or sister in the faith first and call out privately. There are also moments where that, that isn't getting the job done and we got to call out publicly. And Peter tells this, or Paul tells this story about him and Peter in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter started to do something hypocritical. He was, God had shown him it was okay to eat what the Gentiles ate. And he was doing that. And then some of the, the Jewish followers of Jesus came to town and he started feeling ashamed and embarrassed and stopped doing it. And then the Gentiles began to be shamed for the way they were eating when there was supposed to be freedom for them. And so Paul calls him out publicly because now he'd influenced a bunch of other people. And those people needed to know it wasn't okay. He wanted to fix the whole problem. Peter needed to be addressed and the people he had influenced needed to be addressed. The other leaders in that church. And so he called them out publicly in order to bring correction. He didn't call them out publicly and say, you're disqualified, you're out. He just said, hey, dude, we got to deal with this. What you're doing is wrong, and it's ripping other people off. And so there is a time and a place 
for a public calling out of influencers to say, hey, this needs to be addressed because it's influencing other people. We see that? And then finally, the third kind of calling out we do is no longer to correct, it's to warn. Jesus did this over and over again. That's one of the funniest things to me is people talk about how Jesus didn't judge people. Have you ever watched anything that he said about the Pharisees? He called them out all the time. He warned people constantly, those bros are messed up, woe on them. Watch out for them. I'm identifying to you that they are a problem. They're like an empty tomb with dead man's bones. And so he called out publicly to warn. They weren't willing to be corrected privately or publicly. Therefore, they were called out to be warned. Watch out for those guys. They were specifically identified as a problem so people could watch out for what they were teaching. Okay, and then finally, to wrap this up, I'm just going to read these in quick succession and we'll be done. We keep them out. We call them out. We try to correct them. They're not willing to receive correction. We warn people and then we keep them out. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So first of all, let's have a high standard for judging someone that's an elder or a leader. But as for those who persist in sin, those who stick with it, they're not willing to be corrected. Rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. They weren't willing to be corrected. We've established this is reality. It's not a rumor. It's not gossip. It's a reality. We've confronted. They're unwilling to deal with it. We need to, we need to make it known to protect people. Paul writes to Titus, goes on a little further. Titus chapter 1 unpacks this a lot. We're going to read a few verses here. Someone who's teaching must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. He points to an issue of the day. Verse 11, they must be silenced. They got to stop. Since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful game what they ought not to teach. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So in Timothy, he says, rebuke them in the presence of all. In Titus, he says, they must be silenced. They got to be rebuked sharply. And then finally, John writes in his letter, 2 John chapter 1, verses 9 and 11, Everyone who goes on ahead, notice the terminology there, goes on ahead. It's that picture of progress. You know, we've progressed beyond something. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Somebody that is rooted in teaching something that opposes the gospel, we don't give them place, we don't give them voice, and we warn people, watch out for that person and what they're teaching, what they're saying. It doesn't start there, it ends there. It starts with a private correction. Maybe it even then goes to a public warning, and we try to bring these people back. But when they have been established as wolves among the sheep that are teaching what opposes the whole counsel of Scripture, then there comes a moment where it's time to say, we need to stop listening to that. 
and they've got to go. I don't like this. I'm a pretty laid-back guy. I'm a pretty non-confrontational guy. But we are warned for our safety and for the good of others to protect each other, to present a clear picture of the gospel, to present God for who he really is. Because people need him. People need the gospel. They need to be rescued. They need to be saved. They need to be set free. And in order to do that, we have to present clear truth. I'm going to read a verse and I'm going to pray. Jesus finished everything he talked about in Matthew chapter 7 with this story. And this this is where we can stand today and always. He finished with this story, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 29. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The rain comes for everybody. The floods rise. The winds beat. We're going to face that personally, and we're for sure facing it in our day. The question is not, will the floods and rain come? Will the winds beat? The question is, what's your foundation? Is it on the rock, or is it on shifting sand? I pray that our foundation would be on the rock of Jesus Christ, who he is fully, completely, clearly, and that we'd have a real relationship with him. Not incomplete, not compromising, and not legalistic or hypocritical, but a real healthy relationship with a God who loves us and loves the people that we live around. Let's pray. Lord, this is hard stuff. God, this is hard stuff to wrestle through and to understand. Jesus, we need you. Lord, we need you to correct us, to help us with our logs that are in our eyes. God, with with places and times where, where our doctrine is unclear or off, God, help us with that. Lord, help us to be clear-sighted, to love each other enough to call out things in order to help and rescue a brother. And Lord, when the time is right and there's a genuine wolf in the midst that needs to be dealt with, God, help us to have enough courage and enough compassion for other people that we're willing to confront it and silence it and remove it if need be. God, we need your guidance and strength. Lord, you be our rock. You be our foundation. We need you. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.